Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Hope you're safe and well as we wrap up another week. We have some news on more commodities being included in CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. Remember, we started the week with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce saying that that announcement would come on additional commodities within two to three weeks. Well, it really only took about two to three days for some to be included, including potatoes and apples. We will hear from the CEOs of both of those commodities on our program today. And Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us about something they kind of agree with on EPA, but still have differences with EPA on. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But we're going to start it off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report, who's been watching the House Appropriations Committee uh, have some interesting hearings and make some interesting moves. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Kind of tell us what stood out to you about the action of the House Appropriations Committee this week. Uh, Well, good, uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, well, what stood out to me most of all was how smoothly this this bill went through both the subcommittee and through the uh, through the full committee. Uh, it's uh, it's I would regard it as a fairly normal bill. Uh, the total amount of discretionary spending is 24 billion dollars. Now that, of course, does not inc- you know that doesn't have anything to do with farm subsidies or food stamps. Those are mandatory programs and outside the. Uh, uh, jurisdiction of the appropriations uh, committee, uh, but the, probably the most significant uh, uh, provision in it is more money for broadband, $990 million uh, for what's called the Reconnect program and a total of about a, a billion dollars. And we all know how important broadband high-speed Internet service is to rural America, so I would say that's very good news. Um, the bill also uh, includes international food assistance, I think much more than the Trump administration wanted, and that, of course, is important for those commodities that sell into those uh, uh, international food assistance programs. Uh, there's also more money for organics and more money for hemp in there. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of uh, the committee's focus on some of the more forward-looking uh, parts of agriculture. An old issue uh, has kind of resurfaced and kind of shows that uh, those in the House have not forgotten it, and that was USDA's controversial move of uh, those research agencies from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City. That kind of came back up in these uh, committee hearings as well. That's true, and there are, uh, you know, there are provisions uh, in there uh, to, uh, to investigate that and make it more difficult uh for the for for the government to move agencies and it's of course it's also broader than just USDA because the the congress is upset about that decision to move, to move the bureau of land management office to colorado uh so uh so in general there'll be more scrutiny of this uh in the future and it probably won't be as easy for the executive branch to do something like that but on the on those research agencies, by the way, they're still having trouble hiring people uh, in Kansas City. Uh, I get emails all the time about positions that are open, and apparently, despite what what Secretary Purdue said, there aren't that many people wild about moving to Kansas City. What about uh, 
any more action should we expect in the House this week? Are they going to do anything today? Uh, no, I don't think there'll be anything today. But they'll do the they'll do the rest of the appropriations bills in committee next week, and then the last two weeks of the month, the House will take up all the appropriations bills on the floor, um, and the Senate will be back. Now on appropriations. The Senate hasn't done anything because there's a dispute between the Republicans and the Democrats. So we're not sure there'll ever be appropriations bills in the in the uh, in the Senate, and there probably will just be a continuing resolution or omnibus in the end that could incorporate some of these provisions in the House bill. Uh, but the last two weeks of the month, the House and the Senate are also supposed to figure out the next coronavirus aid package. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what's in there. Uh, meanwhile, we talked about this on the program yesterday. Livestock groups are certainly happy with the uh, funding of a purchase of foot and mouth disease vaccine for the vaccine bank. Yes, they are very happy about that. Uh, I guess it's the first time that the government has ever actually bought this vaccine. Uh, now, of course, the pork producers are still saying there needs to be more. It's not a big enough purchase, uh, but it... Uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the beginning of a new era of having this vaccine available. USMCA is uh, officially underway, but there were some questions raised about the products moving back and forth across the border between the U.S. and Mexico. Maybe some saying need more inspection. Uh, yes, and there's um, uh, there's also concern that Mexico uh, uh, is is kind of pulling back on, on biotech, uh, that it doesn't want biotech uh, products. I didn't see any evidence that President Trump brought this up with the Mexican president, even though Senator Grassley said he should. Um, it was, you know, when they have these, these events like this with the meeting of the two presidents, it's really kind of a rah-rah event in which people want to celebrate. They don't, they don't want to bring up the, the difficult problems at, at, those, uh, at those moments. Uh, interesting thing, Mike Dykes, the, Michael Dykes, the president and CEO of the International Dairy Foods Association, was at the dinner with uh, the Mexican president. As, as far as I can tell, he was the only representative of agriculture. But that's very interesting because uh, U.S. exports in dairy to Mexico are a very important part of that industry. Yeah, I believe Mexico is the number one market for U.S. dairy. Um, any, are you hearing any support at all? for trying to reopen the farm bill, rewrite it next year. I, I think that would just be, I think it would be a mistake to reopen it now in this political environment, but uh, there are some calling for it. What do you think? Well, Congressman Crawford, who wants to be the highest-ranking Republican when uh, at, in next year after Congressman Conway retires, has brought up this idea. Uh, but I just, uh, uh, I just can't see it. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 just not it's just not the right time. Just let it uh, just let it go. I could certainly see doing hearings on the future of agriculture because now, as I understand it, the spending for the, under the coronavirus aid exceeds that of the regular farm programs, and so uh, it's a messy situation uh, in which you can't really say that the farm bill programs are are running the system. Uh, but I don't see doing, you know, doing something as a kind of slapdash measure uh, just a couple of years after we passed the last bill. 
Jerry, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Have a good weekend. We'll talk next week. Great. Always, always happy to talk to you, Mike. Take care. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Well, up next, potatoes now in CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. We'll talk with the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Quarles, get his thoughts on that. What was their argument that helped convince uh, USDA to include potatoes? And could there be even more? Is more more needed to help the potato industry? We'll talk about that next, right here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, several more commodities have been accepted into CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. Although wheat, some additional wheat varieties were not, USDA declined the appeal from the National Association of Wheat Growers to expand the types of wheat that are eligible for payments. Hard red winter, soft red winter, and white wheat not eligible for CFAP, while Durham and hard red spring wheat are. We'll be talking more about that next week. But among those commodities that have now been included in CFAP, potatoes. And joining us now is the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Quarles. Cam, thanks for joining us. Um, You have to feel good that you finally got in. What do you think uh, convinced USDA to include potatoes? Well, we... We do, Mike, and that, that was very good news that came out yesterday that potatoes are in all three categories of CFAP. Um, you know, I, I, I think what ultimately turned the tide here was we really went back on a comprehensive basis throughout the entirety of our industry and gathered economic data that was telling the story that we were seeing on the ground, and I, I think that ultimately ended up being compelling for for USDA, the, um, the, the potatoes being ineligible for category one, which is typically the most valuable um, category of payments, that just didn't jive with what we were seeing. Um, and you were seeing too, Mike, I think, you know, the headlines across the country were potato growers who had this tremendous oversupply. A lot of them were figuring out creative ways to just give their product away. That didn't line up with USDA's initial determination that there really wasn't much of a price impact. And I, I think as we had the opportunity to go back, look at the data and provide it to them, they they saw what we saw was that there was a pretty substantial impact to potatoes. Still we're you know, we're trying to work out some some issues with them, but I think overall it's it's good news that they've opened the door and, and gotten us fully into the program. What about the amount that will be received, the the formula used uh, do you like that, or do you think that's still kind of uh, falling short? Uh, you know, in 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 some in some areas, it's uh, solid. Uh, clearly, for for russets, uh, seven cents a pound um, is is helpful for for those folks. Um, for our seed potato growers, it's about half of what we had uh, estimated um, would keep keep growers in the game until next year. And so, we want to work with USDA in getting that amount up. That may very well involve Congress getting involved uh, because the the resources for CFAP, as they're adding new commodities, obviously you're going to burn through the money quicker. Um, also, Mike, the, this initial round of CFAP 
there's timing limitations on it. And I, I think the reality for everyone in agriculture, not just potatoes or specialty crops, but all the impacted commodities is that we're going to need uh, need those resources to be pushed out all the way at least till the end of the year because we're really not sure what this recovery is going to look like. We're talking with Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. Let me ask you about that recovery. As we see some restaurants opening up and people getting out a little bit more, even though we have these spikes in the, uh, the positive cases, uh, creating new concerns again or reviving old concerns maybe Uh, but there has been some recovery some rebound going on have you noticed that as far as the the demand the consumption of of potatoes uh clearly yeah we're 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 seeing a pickup in demand and that's that's a good thing um obviously when when we were looking at this in mid-april it it was a pretty ugly scene uh 70 percent of our business just fell off a cliff uh now as reopening has started you're clearly seeing a demand pick up. The real question, Mike, though, is 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 that going to is that line on the graph going to be steadily rising, or is it going to be kind of a sawtooth? And if it's if it's opening and closing and kind of fits and starts, that's going to create complications that are probably going to going to echo out into well into the fourth quarter, and you're likely through the balance of the year. So we want to make sure that USDA and Congress put the resources in place. So that the safety net exists, we we obviously want the market to be our primary customer, and if it comes back strong, that's great. But we want we we want growers to have have that ability to have some relief from the government if if necessary. Do you know yet how much of the damage done to the potato industry is temporary, short term, or how much of it is long term and just changes the structure of the business, perhaps uh, producers going out of business. Can you tell that yet? I, I don't think we can tell in in its entirety, but certainly for put put yourselves in, put yourself in the shoes of a grower who, right as as the pandemic was starting, the crisis was fully manifesting itself. They they were in the middle of planting, and their customer. A lot of these potatoes are produced on contract for a single customer. If that customer comes back, comes to them and says, look, I, I, I need your crop at 50% of what it was last year, or maybe I don't need your crop at all, and that grower elected not to plant, they, they are out of options for, for a year or more. Um, for, for folks who, who did take the gamble and, and planted, they, they probably have a few more options. Uh, and for folks who are fortunate enough that they're, you know, they're, they're their customers we're going to work through that with them that that's that's a great thing but it's really going to be on a case-by-case basis it's those it's those folks who who just didn't have any options and are really caught right at the worst time of the year that we're we're most concerned about and we want to make sure that usda is standing behind them so that they 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 don't suffer that doomsday scenario of having to take a family farm out of business what's your export markets like well, export, um, they're starting to pick up, but as you can imagine, this is a global pandemic, and so a lot of the things that we're seeing here in the United States are occurring around the world. So we're, um, we're, we're, we're cautiously optimistic that as foreign, uh, as, our, as our export markets start to reopen, um, we're going to see that stronger pickup in demand. 
Um, but it really, uh, uh, it, it's going to remain to be seen. Uh, a, a lot of where we ship our products to, it's Canada, Mexico, and the, the Pacific Rim. Uh, a, a lot of those countries are doing fairly well um, in terms of managing the virus and starting to reopen. Um, some are having challenges. And I, I think it's just going to be a, a number of months before we can fully see how that how that picture evolves. So, like for all commodities in CFAP, CFAP helps, but it doesn't uh, fix the biggest problem and doesn't solve the biggest issue, and that is getting uh, the markets back to where they were or better. No, that's exactly right, Mike. The, there, there's no re, there, there's no fully replacing the the demand that was lost. Um, uh, that we in the specialty crop industry, we we really need thriving, strong markets, both domestically and internationally, in order to be successful. And it, it's trying to replicate that on a short-term basis is a real challenge. Um, we we appreciate what USDA is doing. They're 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 trying to get to the right place given limited resources. Um, but um, we're, we're our our desire is is that there's a safe, uh, durable reopening that allows us to sell to, to our customers that we had before. How about the labor issue? How much is that impacting your industry? Uh, the labor, clearly, as we get into to harvest season, where you've got typically a lot of folks um, together in one, in one place, we're, we're spending a, a lot of time trying to figure out what, the necessary requirements are for physical distancing. How you keep your your employees safe. Um, we 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 don't want to uh, have one of these situations where we've got a, a virus outbreak in in a packing house or other facility where you've got a lot of population density. Um, so that um, that that is is clearly a wild card. People are trying to manage it as best as best they can. A lot of the states have. Um, devoted resources to these essential type of activities that agriculture is designated uh, as as one of them, and so that that's a good thing in terms of getting the personal protective equipment and those type of things to try to try to avoid those kind of scenarios. So um, we're there, there is a a lot of man hours being spent on trying to make sure it's a it's a strong, safe environment for when we get into to the more uh, labor intensive harvest season. So some help from CFAP, but still some bigger issues to deal with. Cam, thank you for the update, and we'll stay in touch and talk again soon. Thank you very much. Mike, great to talk to you. Thank you. Cam Quarrel, CEO of the National Potato Council. Again, potatoes, one of the commodities now included in the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. Apples also now included. We'll talk later with the president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. But up next... We're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Even when the biofuels industry does agree with EPA, they still have disagreements. We'll talk about that next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. RFA is supporting EPA's proposal determining that no additional measures are necessary to mitigate potential adverse air quality impacts 
associated with the renewable fuel standard. However, RFA does disagree with EPA on the use of an air quality modeling and analysis conducted by EPA to inform the proposed determination. So, Jeff, basically, even when you agree, you still disagree. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems like that's the, the the way we are with just about anything EPA does anymore. It's it's kind of they, they give with one hand and take away with another, and that's exactly what we see here, Mike. Uh, and just a little bit of background on, on this whole issue. Uh, when Congress expanded the RFS in 2007, they also included a provision that required EPA to conduct this air quality analysis uh, to really determine whether there had been any adverse air quality impacts due to the RFS. And if the study showed any adverse impacts, then EPA was supposed to consider whether to take additional steps to control, uh, you know, air quality and, and, and emissions. And we always thought that this requirement for a study was a complete waste of time because ethanol improves air quality, and there's no risk that the RFS is going to make it worse. Uh, and so EPA, you know, sort of agreed with this, I think. They never did the study. It was not a priority for them. But then they got sued by the Sierra Club a few years ago uh, because they hadn't done this study that was mandated by the statute. And they sort of settled out of court and said, okay, we'll do the study. So that's what we're talking about now is the study that they produced. And it's a mixed bag for ethanol. They They suggest that some, you know, the RFS has, has reduced some air pollutants but made others worse. And it's all based on more faulty modeling, uh, questionable assumptions, hypothetical scenarios, and, and we just don't understand why EPA doesn't look at what's happened in the real world and, and pull data from, I mean, they have hundreds of sensors around the country, Mike, that are actually measuring air quality uh, that all show reductions. Um, so it's just a, a kind of another good news, bad news story from EPA, but, but the key is what you mentioned that EPA is not recommending uh, any further action to control emissions, and, and that's obviously good news. Any news on the SRE front on these retroactive waivers being considered by EPA? Well, we, we haven't heard much new uh, in terms of the you know so-called gap year SREs. Uh, we do know that Administrator Wheeler, uh, a week or so ago, spoke with some reporters and, and sort of sort of backed up a little bit and said, "Well, look, those those petitions are all still at DOE. They're being re- you know reviewed and, and scored by the Department of Energy, and then they'll send those back to us, and then we'll make a decision." He did indicate that he sees some some issues and potential problems with uh, with these gap year petitions. So. Uh, maybe that's encouraging, but we, we certainly haven't heard anything definitive out of out of the agency. Uh, and we continue to press EPA to just reject all 52 of these things. We think they're completely illegal, uh, and they're you know now EPA is getting a lot of pressure from Congress to do the same thing. Uh, Senator Ernst, in fact, has put a hold on uh, the number two uh, you know EPA nominee. Uh, Doug Benevento uh, saying she will not uh, vote to confirm uh, that appointment until we get some answers on this issue. Um, And so we think, you know, the pressure's building and and hopefully EPA is going to do the right thing here, which would be a change for them, uh, and just throw these these, uh, petitions out and and move on. They might want to wait till after the election, but that seems like a long time to wait on this. 
Well, that is the, the, the concern that we have, and, and we are worried that EPA is going to try to kick the can not only on these 52 gap year SRE petitions, but they've got 26 pending petitions for 2019 that they haven't yet decided. Uh, they've got a 2021 RVO proposal that's supposed to be out very soon uh, that we hear is now being delayed indefinitely. You know, they've got several RFS-related issues that require some decisions to be made, and we're growing more and more concerned that they're just going to try to kick all of those hard decisions past the election, uh, which would mean, you know, we're just kind of uh, dithering out here uh, with, with more uncertainty uh, for the next few months if they're allowed to do that. Uh, we're trying to force uh, some of these decisions, you know, most or all of these decisions to be made uh, before the election in November. Still no RVO announcement for next year? Yeah, no, there's no proposal yet. Uh, you know, we were told all the way back in June, so about a month ago, we were told to expect this proposal any day now. And, you know, now we're past the 4th of July and, and still haven't seen it, and now we're hearing it's it's really held up uh, at the White House, and it isn't clear when we might see that proposal. Um, and that's interesting, Mike, because, you know, Administrator Wheeler and, and Administrator Pruitt before him said, you know, you, you, you guys in the biofuels industry might not always like uh, the RVO rules we publish, but, but by golly, we're going to get them done on time every year. You know, we have a statutory deadline. We've got to have these things finalized by November 30th. We're never going to miss that deadline. Um, and the longer, the longer this thing drags on uh, before we see a proposal, the, the more uh, in doubt that November 30th deadline is for a final rule. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. What is the latest on the efforts to allow ethanol plants to help provide for the growing demand for hand sanitizers? Well, Mike, we, we still have some challenges there as well. We, we do have a, a number of facilities across the U.S. that are producing the higher grade of alcohol necessary for hand sanitizer FDA has, you know, relaxed certain regulations. Uh, the the uh, Treasury Department has relaxed certain regulations that has allowed some of the, the industry to, to participate in that market. Uh, but FDA's, you know, most recent guidelines, we believe, remain overly restrictive and continue to create roadblocks. Um, you know, we, we've got billions of gallons, potentially, of, of product that could be uh, funneled into that hand sanitizer industry uh, to help with that shortage, and FDA is just not allowing uh, that to be done very easily. So, you know, we do have a number of, of member companies that continue to participate in that market and, and contribute volume, um, but we, we could certainly do more if FDA would just be a little more willing to work with us on some temporary standards. The China Watch continues to see how much they purchase of U.S. ag products. There's some purchases here at the end of the week that are that are certainly uh, uh, helpful and giving hope that more may be coming, but certainly a, a positive uh, uh, set of uh, purchases here at the end of the week. But we're still waiting to see if they're going to buy DDGs, going to buy ethanol. Are you hearing anything? Well, Mike, we, we continue to hear um, a little bit of noise uh, now and then and, and some whispers 
about potential purchases of ethanol and distillers grains um, in China. But I will tell you, uh, the industry has grown, and, and me personally, I've grown very uh, skeptical and, and cynical about um, these rumors that we hear. Uh, we're not going to be convinced that the door is really swinging back open in China until, you know, until there's a, a ship being offloaded uh, at the port in China. Um, there's just far too many uh, fits and starts that we've had at that market uh, for us to get terribly excited about the rumor mill. So uh, we're, we remain ho- hopeful, of course, that uh, we are going to see uh, some of those purchases. Uh, we know China is way behind on its phase one uh, commitments. Uh, one way they could catch up very quickly uh, here in the third and fourth quarter of this year would be to really increase uh, or restart their, their purchases of ethanol and distillers grains. Uh, and we've got our fingers crossed that they're going to do that. But uh, until we see you know, hard evidence and, and proof that that's happening, um, we're going to reserve our, our excitement. Yep. And I, like I say, the purchases they're making so far, especially here at the end of this week, are encouraging, but still a long ways to go yep. and still still uh, waiting on the ethanol purchases. All right. Um, let's end this on kind of a positive note as much, best we can with all the challenges we've just outlined. Uh, we are seeing driving pick up, although there's concerns about yep. what's happening with the virus right now. And could we see another slowdown or shutdown? Hopefully not. But uh, we are seeing some encouraging signs about rebounding and some ethanol plants kind of picking up production. Where are we? Yeah, we are seeing some some great improvement there, Mike. And, and you know, this last week, the uh, industry was operating at a rate of about 14 billion gallons annualized. Uh, so that, you know, we, we have really come back uh, a, a long way from the lows that we saw in April, where about half of the industry's capacity was offline. Our, our production, you know, our output rates had fallen by, by half. So we have made a, a remarkable uh, step in terms of, of recovery for the industry. But we still have a ways to go. I mean, we're still down 12, 13 percent compared to year ago levels. Um, and before all this began, we were expecting 2020 to be uh, really a great year, a, a record year for ethanol production is, is what we were hoping for. Uh, so we got quite a ways to go before we get, get back to those levels. Uh, but you're right, we, we are optimistic and, and pleased with uh, the progress we've seen in the last several weeks. All right, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Stay safe and uh, stay well. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks. You too, Mike. All right. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we're going to talk with the president and CEO of U.S. Apple. Apple's one of those commodities that have now been included in CFAT, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. We'll talk with Jim Baer about how much that will help apple growers. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, quite a list of commodities have been added to CFAP. We talked earlier about potatoes, um, also blueberries, garlic, uh, raspberries, tangerines, just a number of uh, commodities being included, including apples. And Jim Baer, president and CEO of U.S. Apple, is with us, Jim. You're in. What do you? What are your thoughts? 
Mike, how are you today? We we talked the other day, and you asked me if I was optimistic, and you might remember I said you can't be in agriculture yeah. without being an optimist, and uh, fortunately, things broke our way. We are in, and we're happy about that, and we thank USDA for for doing a reanalysis, accepting our information that we submitted, and coming to what we thought was a, a good decision. Yeah, what did you, what do you think, convinced them what were you able to show them that uh, that you think got you in well if anybody's taken a statistics class you learn that your analysis is only as good as your data that you are examining and as we looked into the initial decision that usda made and we asked them where did you come up with your data to show that apple prices had only declined by three percent between january and april which if you'd asked any apple grower in the united states they would have told you that that was crazy uh and so usda responded well we looked at terminal so-called terminal market data there are 12 terminal markets and they're in miami and atlanta dallas la and so forth and as you would imagine there's a lot of cost involved with getting apples from Washington or Michigan or New York or wherever to those locations, we said, well, that's not grower sales price data. That's that's a whole different thing. And in fact, the more we dug into it, uh, we were able to help them understand that no more than 1% of all the apples sold in this country are sold through those so-called terminal markets. Most of it is in refrigerated tractor trailers that are leaving Apple country and go into the supermarket in your hometown. And that's, you know, anywhere from 95 to 99% of the apples that are moved. So we put together a 30 page economic treatise that showed them actual sales price data on more than 43 million bushels of apples, which might not sound like a lot to your listeners and in grain country, but that was more than half of all the apples that moved in the United States during the three-month time period that USDA was analyzing. So, yeah, I've been doing this kind of work a long, long time. I've never seen anybody submit an amount of data that large, that compelling. And our data showed that depending on region and, and so forth, that the price declines over those three months were anywhere from seven to 25 percent and usda had said well you have to prove a price decline of at least five percent to qualify and and uh, so once we presented them with okay usda you looked at one percent of the sales we've got data on more than 50 percent of the sales and uh to us it was compelling and they agreed so fortunately we're in and so starting today growers are going to be able to at least plead their case that they should be treated no differently than the than the producers of, of row crops or livestock or dairy, and that's all we wanted was a, was a fair hearing, and we got it. So what is the payment formula that will be used for apples? So it's it's $0.05 cents a pound, which works out to uh, about $2 a box or, or a bushel, same thing in our world. Uh, and right now that's probably about a 12%. Uh, of the value of the of the apples right now, we have a lot of growers across the country that have just been hanging on by their fingernails, and this decision comes not a moment too soon. We've actually got way too many apples still left over from the 2019 crop. Now you can store 
grains and oil seeds for a couple of years if you have to. You might not want to do that, but you could if you had to. Apples, you know, obviously nothing really good happens by trying to sell a year-old apple. Um, we're in that situation. We may still have growers that are going to be destroying apples, just dumping them on the ground um, to make room for the harvest, which has already started in some parts of the country. So we've got to make room for that crop. We've got too much 2019 left. And so this this will give uh, hopefully a ray of, of hope to those growers that have been really pushed to the edge because of the COVID virus. We've talked a lot about COVID's impact on different commodities, uh, certainly the shutdown of the, the food service uh, sector. That really hurts some commodities more than others. We've talked about backup in packing plants affecting the meat supply chain. How has COVID-19 affected the demand for apples? We saw a spike in demand for about two weeks right after um, things started shutting down and people were looking to fill their pantries for the long haul. And so we actually did see some some nice uh, spikes in demand last week in March, first week in April. But after that, the floor just fell out. Not exactly sure why, but anyway, I guess there was a lot of turmoil. And uh, so the, the volume has just really declined every week. And that's why we have so many apples left from 2019. And if schools were still in session, you know, we missed that whole, virtually the whole uh, spring semester. And apples are a common part of the school lunch program. And, you know, all of that was, was basically lost. So uh, there was that impact. And then there was the impact just on our operations, because as, as you would imagine, uh, just like in, in meatpacking facilities where people are standing shoulder to shoulder, we have the same exact situation in a in a fruit packing facility and if you have to social distance those workers and they were standing three feet apart but now they got to stand six feet apart well you just cut your production capacity in half and then if you're using the h2a visa which is the only legal means of hiring uh foreign workers to to pick fruit uh and it's just absolutely critical uh, you've got to social distance the housing and the sleeping arrangements, and so that's actually cut into our labor pool, too. So a lot of impact, but hopefully this new uh, decision by USDA will help. Jim, good to talk with you, and uh, take care, and we'll stay in touch. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon. Th- thanks for the update. Jim Baer, President and CEO of U.S. Apple Association. That wraps it up for today. Have a great weekend, everyone.